There once was in remote times a king who had two wives. Now his second wife, whom he had newly married, she was younger and she was precious to him. He loved her dearly. While his first wife, who was elderly, he didn't care for all that much because she had borne him one girl while his second wife had brought him two sons. So then one day, the new wife, feeling very restless and wanting her children, her two sons, to already become kings, she sent for her elderly son and she said to him, wait until your father has assembled the council of state. Then go up to him, kiss his hand and ask him to give you the kingdom. Waiting until morning, when all the ministers of state were meeting with his father, the king, the son went up, wished the assembly a good morning, came up to his father and kissed his hand. What do you want, son? Father, said the boy, I want the kingdom in your lifetime and not after your death. Go work as hard as I did and suffer the same hardships, answered the father. Then come back and I'll give you the kingdom. The boy went back to his mother who asked, What did he say to you? He said such and such. She then sent her second son, who went up the next day, wished all a good morning, came up to his father, kissed his hand and waited. What do you want, son? I want the kingdom in your lifetime, not after your death, answered the boy. Go and work as hard as I did and suffer the same hardships. Then come back and I'll give you the kingdom, the father said. The boy turned around and went straight back. He and his brother had not achieved anything. Meanwhile, his first wife, the elderly wife, found out what was going on and calling her daughter over, she said to her, clever Suzanne, Go up to your father, kiss his hand, and ask him for the kingdom. The girl went up and, finding the diwan already full of people, wished everyone a good day and came up to her father. She kissed his hand, and she waited. What do you want? snapped the father. Father, I want the kingdom in your lifetime, and not after your death, answered Suzanne, trembling as she did so. Taking hold of her, her father gave her a beating and dismissed her. And when she came back to her mother, she said, What's the matter with you? Well, such and such happened, mother. Well, don't give up. Go back and ask him again, she said. The girl went up again, and again her father beat her and threw her out. When she came back down, her mother asked, What happened to you? And she answered, Such and such he said to me, and he beat me too. Go back another time, her mother said, and she went up again for a third time. This time the king shot out of his seat with rage. He wanted to take hold of Suzanne and throw her down the stairs. The ministers and lords of states also jumped up. Wait, wait, ruler of the age, they said to the king. Just say to her the same words you said to her brothers, and she'll surely go away. Do you really think that this one is going to come and take the kingdom away from you? They calmed the king down until finally he said to his daughter, Go work as hard as I did, 
and suffer as I have suffered. Then come back and I'll give you the kingdom. Turning around, the girl went straight to her mother. What happened, daughter, she asked. Such and such, he said to me, answered Suzanne. And if it weren't for the ministers, he would have thrown me down the stairs. So the following day, her mother prepared provisions for a journey, for a very long journey. And she took her daughter to the outskirts of town. There was a slab of stone and they stood there waiting and waiting. Standing on it, the mother called out, O Balan, O Balan, O Balan. Balan was the name of the Jin horse, a great spirit horse who was known to be a guardian to many who were entrusted onto him. So Suzanne's mother put the food provisions and a water skin in the saddlebags and said to her daughter, Mount. Balan, she said to the horse, take care of your rider, farewell. And then she went home. Turning to the west, the horse started moving. They traveled for a day or two or three. Oh, God only knows, they must have traveled for months and months until they finally arrived at a seashore. They had been traveling along the shore a while, a long while, when suddenly a feather, a feather there was along the seashore, and how it sparkled all by itself. Finding it so beautiful, Suzanne wanted to dismount the horse and pick it up. By God, she said to the horse, I want to get down and take it up. And what was the horse's response, you think? Well, the horse said, you're going to be sorry if you take it and sorry if you don't. Well, if I'm going to be sorry either way, Suzanne said, then by God, of course I want to take it. So dismounting, she picked up the feather and put it in her pocket. She went back to the horse and they traveled and traveled and traveled until they arrived to a silent city. And they were both quite exhausted. So they found the nearest inn and they took a room to rest. That night as it happened, the king of this place had let it be known that it was forbidden for people to go out. They were to remain in quarantine. There was a great plague around them. And he had also asked them not to light their homes either so that they can save their light for later. Now he wanted to find out who was obedient and who was not. So he also secretly went around the town at night to see and watch who was listening to him and who wasn't. Now our heroine, Suzanne, she knew about this order, so she didn't dare light her room. Towards the end of the night, you might say, she pulled the feather out of her pocket. She wanted to see it and she stuck it into the wall. And what do you think happened? That feather lit up the whole room. Just then, the king in disguise was conducting his tour of inspection in the neighborhood where Suzanne and her horse were. And when they passed by the inn, they found one of the rooms were lit. Counselor, ordered the king, manage this for me. Put a mark on this place, ordered the king. 
and the door of their room was marked, and in the morning the king sent for them. And when he saw her, he said to her, Didn't you know that I had ordered a blackout last night? Yes, yes, your majesty, I did. Well, then why did you put a light in your room? My lord, I didn't light my room, but I saw it with my own eyes, and, and so did everyone that was with me. Your majesty, I didn't light any lamps, I promise. Well, are you calling me a liar? No, no, your majesty, please wait a moment. I tell you I didn't burn a light in my room, but you see on the path along my journey, I'm coming from a very far away place, and along the path I found a feather, and this feather it glows by itself. I hung it up, and it lit the room. What kind of feather is this that can light up a whole room? A magic bird feather, your majesty, Suzanne said. Bring it over and let me see if you're telling the truth. And so the young lady went and brought the feather, and when the king saw it, he fell completely in love with it. How strange, O ruler of the age, exclaimed the king's high official, you might say his vizier. Could it be that you're so completely taken with a feather? What if you were to see the bird from which this feather came? Then what would you do? And who's going to bring this bird? asked the king. Well, she, she who brought the feather, answered the vizier, can also bring the bird. Young lady, yes, you must bring me the bird from which this feather came. You have two days and a third, and if you don't bring it, I'll throw you into the dungeons I will, and for life. Please, please, O oh ruler of the age, the lady begged. Where can I bring it from, and how am I ever going to find it? This is a, a feather I found by the seashore while riding my horse. How should I know the bird to whom it belongs? Now, Suzanne went home crying, and to whom? To the horse, who, since he was from the jinn world after all, knew what was going on this whole time. Well, this one is easy, Balan the horse said. What do you mean it's easy? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, replied Balan the horse. This really is not a difficult task. Go back to the king and say, O king, I want a cage made of silver and gold from the vizier's treasury, and it must be decorated such that no two figures are the same. Otherwise, the task will never be done. The horse had understood that the whole idea had come from the vizier. So returning to the king, the young lady said, O ruler of the age, I will do as you ask, and I will find you the bird. But first I must have a cage made of silver and gold from the vizier's own treasury. Otherwise, what you requested will never be accomplished. Wow, by God, having said that, the young lady turned around and left. She suddenly felt this, this new spark of courage inside her. So the king sent for the vizier and he came and the king said to him, you will have a cage made of silver and gold from your own treasury and no two decorations on it can be the same. Otherwise, I'll have your head. Now what was the vizier to do? He went and gathered what he had about in the palace in money and in gold and in silver, and he had the goldsmith make the cage ordered by the king. 
The young lady then came back and she picked it up. Mount, said Balan the horse, and she mounted. The horse flew with her and kept flying and flying until they landed at the place where he knew the bird would come. Do you see that tree? The horse asked. Yes. Go climb it and hang the cage on it. Open its doors and wait, and when the bird comes to rest for the night, she'll see the cage, and she will be so delighted by it. So she'll say to herself, Oh, wow, by God, this cage is suitable for none but me for spending the night. Meanwhile, wait till she's right in the center of the cage, and then come from behind and close the door on her and bring her down. Suzanne took the cage and hung it in the tree, leaving the door open. Towards sunset, the bird came to nest in the tree, and just as the horse Balan predicted, she saw the cage. This cage is suitable to no one but me for spending the night. She went in to see if there was enough room for her, and our friend, she was not asleep, quickly shut the door on her and brought the cage down. Returning to the horse, she mounted, and they flew until the horse had brought them all back. So taking the cage and the bird with her in the morning, the young lady went to see the king. Here, O ruler of the age, she said, is the bird that's owner of the feather you admired. Well, dear listeners, dear brothers and sisters, the moment the king laid eyes on the bird, he went out of his mind over her. The vizier was there too and wanted to take revenge on the girl. Truly, O ruler of the age, the vizier said, you've gone crazy over this bird. What would you do if you were to see its owner? And who will bring her, asked the king. Well, she, she who brought the feather and she who brought the bird can surely find the owner, responded the vizier. The king summoned the young lady, Suzanne, and she came. Young lady, said the king, yes, O ruler of the age, you must bring me the owner of this bird. You have two days and a third, and if you don't bring her, I'll throw you in the dungeons till the end of time. Please have mercy, please have mercy, begged Suzanne. This was a bird flying in the wilderness. She isn't owned by anyone, and even if she does have an owner, how am I to find her? Now the young lady went home to the horse crying. What's the matter? asked the horse, and she answered, Such and such is the problem. Didn't I tell you you'd be sorry if you took that feather, and sorry if you didn't? the horse reminded her. In any case, this is an easy one. Go back to the king and say to him, O oh, ruler of the age, I must have a boat seven decks high, made of silver and gold from the treasury of the vizier. Otherwise, your request will never be fulfilled. The lady, our heroine, returned to the king and asked for the boat. Sending after the vizier, the king said to him, You will build us a boat, and it will be a boat like no other. A boat that's seven decks high, made of silver and gold from your own treasury. Quite a sight this boat will be, eh, my vizier? Where was the vizier to go, and what was he to do? He gathered a bit of this and a bit of that, putting money in one account and taking it out of another. 
until the boat was made, and when it was finished, the king sent for our heroine. The guardian horse spoke with the girl, teaching her what to do. Listen, he said, board this boat and sail until you reach the port where there will be a city. Anchor the boat there and call out, Hey people, hey good people, I know you've been in quarantine for a very long time, but today is a day where you can come and see this beautiful boat. It's for free. You'll wait the whole day, but the king's daughter won't show up immediately. The second day she'll hear about your boat and she will come. And when she does come, how will you recognize her? Well, you see, my darling Suzanne, she will transform herself into a young deer, a gazelle, in order to stay hidden away from her people so that they don't recognize the princess among them. And when she approaches from the distance, will at that moment stop the people from coming on the boat. Say to them, oh uncles, oh cousins, I'm not charging you admission and yet you're damaging this boat. So you can't come on this boat except one at a time. And then wait until she comes on board and becomes absorbed by looking at the decorations, deck after deck and then lift the anchor, start moving, and bring her with you. The horse taught her what to do. And so the young lady boarded the ship and sailed until she reached the port. She dropped the anchor to the edge of town and started calling out, free showing, free showing. You've been in quarantine all this time. Come out and see this majesty of this boat. And what do you think happened, my dear listeners? Well, here was this boat, decorated in silver and gold, with no two designs alike, so of course people came running to see it. And it was exactly as the guardian horse Balan predicted. Everyone came rushing to see it on the first day. And on the second day, the king's daughter, the princess, also heard about it and wanted to go see it for herself. So she transformed herself willingly into the gazelle form. And as soon as our young heroine saw her from a distance, she ordered all the people off, off the boat and waited until the gazelle, the princess, came on board. And when she did, she became mesmerized by the beauty and the details of the boat's design. She was so overtaken by this the beauty of the boat that she completely forgot herself well you know how it is dear listeners when you fall in love with something you forget about yourself well that's exactly what happened to the king's daughter the gazelle so by the time she became aware of herself again they were already halfway across the sea what's happened she transformed herself into her girl form again and she said to suzanne what's happened who are you and where am i and i have to tell you dear listeners something happened at the very first moment when these two young ladies met and saw each other face to face and closer they were closer to each other now alone on their boat something beautiful happened like a spark of true friendship without any explanation they felt very much akin and close to one another. But the princess had to present our heroine, Suzanne, with a bit of a challenge. 
So, removing a ring from her finger, she dropped it into the water. And she said to Suzanne, If you can find this ring for me, then I will go with you willingly and happily to anywhere you want to take me. Now this challenge was easy for Suzanne because of something that happened to her as a child. You see, dear listeners, she had once fallen into the ocean, almost ready to drown until it was the fish of the sea who recognized her good spirit, so they saved her and helped her from drowning. And ever since then, they've become, they've been friends. So she knew what they favored the most to eat, so she went to the storage room of the boat, she took out all of the white flour, and she threw it all into the ocean. And sure enough, in no time at all, the king of the of the the king fishes of the sea, he popped his head up and he saw that it was Suzanne who was feeding them. Oh dear friend, he said to her, what is it that I can do for you? Ask anything. And she told him about the lost ring, and so it came to be. He found the ring for her, and now Gazelle, the princess, had no choice but to go with Suzanne to anywhere she would take her. And back to the king they went, and when the king saw the princess with Suzanne, saw the princess Gazelle, he recognized her right away, for you see, dear listeners, he was her long-lost uncle. And as soon as she saw him, she also recognized him. And they embraced and they were so happy to meet each other again. And they celebrated with a wonderful feast, a reunion, a ceremony. And the vizier, you might say, well, I guess he was discharged and he was never to be seen again. And then what happened? Well, they went back to the princess's island. And there... Suzanne and the Princess Gazelle were married, and what a wonderful wedding it was. And they lived happily enough in this great palace of Gazelle. And what a palace it was. But this Gazelle, she was used to roving. She was wild on the inside, and she needed to go out into the forests and to explore new worlds and new times. So when the day came, she went to her wife, uh, Suzanne, and she said to her, listen, dear wife, dearest soul friend, I'm going to Rome for a while. Now you look after yourself and you can explore this palace as you wish. All the rooms you can open, except for the room, and she pointed that way, except for that room. And I'll see you very soon. So now Suzanne was on her own. Opening one room, she found a treasure, and another, and there were weapons, and another, and there were green plants of every kind. In the fourth room, she found parrots and birds of all sizes and colors. Ah, but still, she wasn't satisfied. She wondered to herself, why would my dearest soul friend, my wife, why would she give me all the keys to all the rooms in the palace but deny me that one room? Oh, God forgive me, I have to open it. I have to find out what's behind it. So she opened it and she found a young man hanging by his hair. Now this young man wasn't really a human. He was from the jinn world and he was a wicked jinn. And he had wanted to marry Gazelle for himself, but she didn't want him, so she hung him by his hair. Please, he called out, I beg you, release me. 
I put myself at your mercy, he begged Suzanne. So our young heroine had no idea who he really was, and she took pity on him. And what do you think happened? That's right, she released him. And as soon as she released him, Vision used his magic to bring a huge mountain and put it right in front of the castle, right in front of the palace, so that it would block the light. And it was, it seemed as though this palace would now be doomed to never see the light of day again. Now Gazelle, her instinct, she used her instinct and she could tell something had gone wrong. And in a second, she was already there standing right next to Suzanne. Why did you give me trouble? <laughs> she scolded her wife. Just like that, you released him? Don't you think there's a reason I had this jinn hanging by his hair? Ashamed of what she'd done, Suzanne dragged herself below while she went back up to deal with the jinn who was magically placing mountains around her palace like a cage, making sure to block away any sunlight. He was bragging too, saying things like, this time I'm going to defeat Gazelle and take away her soul. And this time, he snapped back, I'm going to finish her off. Well, this time, Gazelle would say in reply to him, I'm going to finish you off. This time, I won't be satisfied just to let you dangle, you wicked jinn. <laughs> what? He mocked. Go away. You can't end me. Don't you know that my soul is lodged in the knee bone of a certain tiger who lives in such and such a country? So how are you going to get hold of it and finish me off? Now... Gazelle's wife, Suzanne, she heard this and she immediately set out, out into the country where that tiger was to be found. And on her way, she came upon three men arguing over their inheritance from their father and they were fighting over three things mainly. The first was a wooden club that gives anyone able to lift it power over 40 monsters. The second was a magic carpet with invisible eyes. And the third was the cap of invisibility. Now you might ask, what's a magic carpet with invisible eyes? Well, I have to tell you about that in another story. But for now, let's keep on track on the journey of Suzanne as she tries to find the tiger in who in his knee bone is hiding the soul of this wicked jinn that Gazelle back in her palace is now fighting. So these three brothers haggling over these three things, one of them would say, no, I won't take this, it won't be fair. And another said, no, I can't take that, I'll be the loser. Well, what are you arguing about, she asked them. We're arguing about which of these three things was really intended for whom. You judge for us, they said to her. Oh, gladly, she answered, I'll help you decide. So taking a stick, she stood at the top of the hill and she said to them, I'm going to throw this stick down into the valley and whoever can bring it back gets all of these three things to himself. They agreed. Lifting up the stick, she hurled it away right to the bottom of the valley. And oh, how far away it landed. The three brothers went running after it. And meanwhile, Suzanne puts on the cap of invisibility. She takes hold of the club. She mounts the magic carpet and tells it not to land 
until she reaches the country where the tiger is to be found. And when she landed in that town, she came upon an older woman and her daughter. So introducing herself, they were very pleased to greet her and they invited uh, Suzanne to stay with them for the evening. She was pleased and grateful. She had after all been on a very long journey and she still had the weight of that guilt upon her back as well, having released that wicked jinn from his room where he was tied up. So she stayed for the evening and the elderly lady, maybe we can call her mother. So mother offered Suzanne some yogurt and when Suzanne was eating this uh, yogurt, she was surprised to see that it was reddish in color. So she asked mother, why is this yogurt red like that? Well, she, sh she shook her head and she answered, our town is surrounded, dearest Suzanne. In this direction, there is a giant scorpion, and in that one, a snake. In the other one, a viper, and over there is a tiger. We are surrounded in all four directions. The sheep can't roam freely anymore in any direction, and so they eat the dirt between the houses. So what do you think happened? Well, all right, Suzanne declared, tomorrow morning, I'm going to take your sheep grazing in the direction of the viper. But dear child, mother protested, the viper will bite you. No, 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 she insisted. I'm going to graze them. Leading the sheep in the morning, she went roaming with them. And what did she find there but that the grass was so, so high because no one was eating, not a single animal was eating from this grass for all of this time. Now the sheep started to eat and the viper came out and she had seven heads. She was a monster, unlike any Suzanne had ever seen. Who's been grazing in my pasture, she asked. A stranger who doesn't know any better, Suzanne replied. All right, the viper replied. You're a stranger who doesn't know any better. Today you come. Tomorrow, you'd better stay home. And so Suzanne let the sheep graze there all day. And in the evening, she went home and she stayed with mother. And in the morning, she went back again. Who's been grazing in my pasture? A stranger who doesn't know any better. All right, today you come, but another day, stay home, stay away. And on the third day, when Suzanne took the sheep to graze again, the viper came out and she said to her, Every day you claim you're a stranger who doesn't know any better. I don't know what you're up to, but come down to the battlefield. So Suzanne went down to the battlefield and immediately cut off all of her heads. People said, Oh, the daughter of mother has killed the viper. She has opened such and such a direction. Now that the valley was free of the viper with the seven heads, the whole town took their sheep grazing there. And after that, Suzanne announced that she would go to the direction of the snake. People protested, but she still went. And as she had done with the viper, she did the same with the snake and again with the scorpion in the third direction. And now, finally, finally it was time to face the tiger. 
So she pulled all her strength together and she went. The tiger showed up and asked, Who's grazing in my pasture? A stranger who doesn't know any better, Suzanne replied. With me, there's no such thing as a stranger, responded the tiger. Here you must come down to the battlefield. You come down, Suzanne challenged him. So that's how their fight started. And they kept fighting all day. Some say they must have battled for 70 days. Others say it must have been 70 years. Neither of them was able to win. The girl could not defeat the tiger, and the tiger could not defeat the girl. And they were each boasting about what they would eat in celebration of their win. And who knows but that I will get the better of you, Suzanne was saying. And I will eat my favorite meal, which is the flatbread rubbed with olive oil and sugar. And I'll drink a flask of fresh water. And I'll do all of this on a mat that's spread over your belly, O tiger. Now who should hear them arguing in this way but the elderly lady, our lovely mother, that uh, Suzanne had been staying with. So she quickly went home and baked some flatbread and rubbed it with olive oil and sugar and her daughter bundled it up and brought it to her sister Suzanne on the battlefield along with a flask of water and a straw mat. Do you know what happened, my dearest listeners? It was as if by some great almighty might, the moment the girl showed up, Suzanne suddenly doubled in might and she threw the tiger to the ground Taking the mat, she spread it on the tiger's belly and she ate the sugared bread and drank the delicious water. And then she cracked the tiger's knee open and there was that other man's soul in a box this small. So reaching for it, Suzanne took it out and put it in her pocket. And not forgetting her one true love, her one aim to help her wife Gazelle, Suzanne got on top of the magic carpet. Magic carpet, she said. Don't bring me down except at Gazelle's palace. And she found Gazelle and her enemy, the spiritless, wicked Jin, still fighting. Who knows, he was saying, but that I'll kill you and take away your soul. And she was answering, no, you won't, not at all. Who knows, but that I'm going to get the better of you and I'll take your soul away. I told you where my soul was, mocked the other. How are you going to get to it? So Suzanne immediately squeezed the box in her hand, showing no mercy, until the jinn fighting with Gazelle was no more to be seen. She was so pleased with the bravery of her wife, and they went back to living in their palace just as before. But this isn't yet the end of our story. It's not yet the end of our tale. We're almost there. Because we don't forget that Suzanne left her home so many years ago. And she felt that it was time now to return and face her father, to come face to face with him and to express to him all the hardships that she'd been through. And she was ready to do this alone and she called out her guardian horse, Balan. But just before mounting and leaving, she was stopped by her wife, Gazelle, who convinced her that she shouldn't go on her own, that she now had a new family, um, her wife and everyone that she'd helped along the way in so many, you know, in all of these years. 
and so um, including the king, her uncle. And now the king, her father, was sitting at home and when he saw a troop of horsemen approaching from afar, he didn't understand that it was in fact his daughter returning home with a troop of all of this a new family who were coming with her in her aid and as witnesses to everything that she'd been through. So thinking that he was being attacked, he alerted his army and they got themselves ready and mounted their horses. And uh, just before he was going to tell them to start shooting, he, that's when he uh, immediately recognized his daughter from a distance and he stopped his own army from attacking her. And uh, that was when as well that he heard all of this wonderful news and, and how happy he was to learn of all of her great adventures, the challenges, the hardships that she'd been through, as well as the accomplishments. And at the same moment, he felt um, that he'd been really wicked and he understood that he hadn't been fair with her at all or with her mother. And so in front of everyone, um, uh, in the presence of everyone, that is, the king stepped down and handed his kingdom over to Suzanne, his daughter, who accepted it from her father and was content. And this is my tale, I've told it. And in your hands, dear listeners, I leave it. Thank you so much for listening to the story. Now, part two will have us trying to unfold the meaning of the stories within the stories and the meaning of all of the various elements within the story. Um, it will be just a very short segment and that will help to lead us into the third segment where I will uh, try to instruct you towards a remedy that can assist you to work towards finding your own happy ending, I hope. Are you still here? You've been listening to me, Jumana Aboud, as I shared a revised and very edited folktale with you, a story about directions. And this has been part of Casco's Common Grounds Story Heritage in collaboration with Stranded FM. Thank you for listening. So now we've arrived at the second part of this audio performance. And here I want to share with you an interpretation of the tale. 
There is an Arabic proverb, and perhaps when it was said, it was specifically referring to the Arabian Nights or to similar tales. The proverb says, Is it possible that, that by telling these tales, one might indeed save oneself? I want to come back to the answer within this proverb in a second. First, I want us to agree that there can be no doubt about the power of stories. The power of stories to transport us, at least, to communicate, to transfer knowledge, wisdom, faith, love. And I suppose that in order for them to arrive at these beautiful traits, they must also, we must also somehow go through the opposite traits, uh, such as walk through fear, doubt, deceitfulness, and uh, other obstacles or things that take the form of obstacles. So, I mean, let's refer to this as a form of enchantment, the power of stories to transport us. I mean, isn't it wonderful that they can do that? So this enchantment, you might say, they enchant us because of their ability to move us and because they stir a movement within us. I mean, because of this, stories do play an incomparable factor in our lives. So we agree about this, right? Now, the kind of stories that I'm referring to here are the old wives' tales, the folk tales and fairy tales that are shared with us or were shared with us in bygone days. Now, let's come to this present time, to today, and into the recent story that you heard me tell you. So I want to go back to the proverb, the question, is it possible that by telling these tales, one might indeed save oneself? How does telling a story, or hearing a story for that matter, how does that save? In fact, I believe that the telling of stories, or, or within storytelling, I believe that storytelling has that ability to save not just the storyteller, but also the one receiving or hearing the story. I mean, who is the self? It's not the self that the proverb refers to, oneself, the proverb tells us. So who is this self? The self is not the self of the I, the me, the one teller of the story, but it's the self of the us, the we, the kind of a mutual community. Because of this power that the story has to be able to move us or transport us. And now we find ourselves suddenly being transported from our safety zone, but at the same time still enduring a sense of newfound safety and a new common, born out of the old common. I mean, neither is good or bad. They are what they are. So the telling of stories becomes the same or one in the same as living a story and as receiving a story as well. The stories didn't come from nowhere or from the nowhere of anywhere. The stories originated from a point of truth or a point of reality, from an experience or several experiences that were lived by one or by many. So in order to be saved by the story, we shall need to live our own story and then to relate it and to tell it. So the teller is also the one who was experiencing the story and now passing it on to you. 
and we become part of that same community. Sometimes we don't really want to tell a story as it is, right? We don't want to tell the hard facts. We don't want to give the names of who was involved in the story that happened in our lives. And very often, especially within folk tales, we use symbolism and we use internal messages or codes in order to tell or to share a story that would function for, I mean, it would function to both entertain us as well as to teach us. In the tale of Suzanne and the Directions, there's a multitude of messages and symbols. And this might be because there isn't just one story. In fact, there are many stories into one. But on the surface, they speak about one thing. And underneath, there's a multitude of meaning and representation. On the surface, our story is about a great journey of our heroine, Suzanne, and everything that happens to her along this journey who she becomes, who she transforms into. Now you might say that this journey is divided into two parts, two great adventures. The heroine is isolated, so to speak. That's how we find her in the beginning. She's unwanted by her father. Some harm in that respect has been done to her. And this really is the beginning of the tale, usually the beginning of many tales. It's out of this harm that she leaves home, that the kind of initiation happens. Eventually, through all the trials that she encounters, she's able to listen to her own inner voice and to take courage and mature. So this is the motif that's quite often repeated in folk tales, where we find uh, someone who starts out in the tale being very weak, but eventually they become strong. In addition to the motif of the quest for spouse, but that has nothing to do with our story. Now I invite you to share your story, dearest listeners. Would you like to tell us a story, a story that saved you? I mean, what does it mean to be saved anyway? To be saved is many things, right? It's to be uplifted, it's to be proven right or wrong, it's to be challenged, it's to meet that challenge and to overcome it. To be saved is to learn, to grow. It's how you define it. It's how you experienced it. It's to arrive at a place that makes you feel safe. Um, and it's also to arrive to a place after much internal travel and internal movement too. I will share with you further details about the prompt with instructions, but it's necessary that I first give you a breakdown of the story that I shared because maybe this will help to lead us into the various mechanisms or tools that you can duplicate in your own manner in order to create your own storytelling and sharing remedy. So in thinking about our heroine, it's really her actions that save her, her actions within the story. And if we try to unravel or break down her actions, that's where we'll uncover or unlock the codes and the internal messages. We already agreed that her journey begins with a form of exodus. Um, she leaves home, that's the initiation, and she leaves home out of a sort of a command. Her father commands her, go and endure hardships, he tells her. Now, it seems quite certain that if it weren't for her mother, none of this would have happened, right? Her mother is the one who really wants to push the girl. And here we learn about the mother's own magical ability. 
because she's able to call on this guardian spirit in the form of a horse. And she calls him to her daughter's aid, and the horse now can uh, take her daughter, take Suzanne, and they begin their journey. I want to just, as a side note, um, to note how within folk tales, we find that there's a triangular relationship. The stories speak to us about our connection or our relationship with others. The first relationship is the one that we have with other human beings, so on the physical plane. The second relationship that we unlock or discover within the folktales is the one that we have with the other world, meaning spirits, uh, spirit guides, saints and God. And the third relationship is the one that we share with the natural world, uh, such as the animals, animals of all kinds, and sources within nature, such as with trees and water sources. Now, I find that in most folktales, the hero of the story lives within a world that encompasses a balanced relationship with all of these three elements, so that it seems that um, perfect harmony or the happy ending can only be achieved once we pass through the trials and errors proposed by all these three, the earthly and the spiritual planes. Now, in Suzanne's case, the heroine of our story, she definitely experiences uh, these relationships. For example, if we look at who are her friends and who are her foes. So let's begin to unlock, let's continue to unlock these friends and foes that exist in our tale. We've mentioned the guardian spirit horse, Balan. Then there is also the feather, the feather that glows in the dark. It's basically where her true journey begins because that's when she makes her own decision out of her own free will to fly down and to collect it from the seashore even after her horse advises you'll be sorry if you do and sorry if you don't. Then there is the bird and she needs to find the bird who's uh, you know, whose feather this belongs, and then she has to build a cage, and that's when she meets the girl or the bird owner, who is the princess, who transforms into a gazelle. Then there is the ring, which is, has this universal meaning of, or symbol of being commitment or of a promise. And then there are the fish who are fed flour, and there is the vizier or the high official, and he could possibly represent the doubter or the doubter within ourselves the ego's voice within us, as well as the kind of obstacle that's set forth before us because um, we need that someone to challenge us, perhaps to make us see what is our full potential. I mean, you would agree that it's his wicked persuasiveness that eventually pushes Suzanne to uncover her own full potential. And then she eventually becomes more curious and she, for example, unlocks that hidden room within the palace. So the palace could also represent the body and the mind and those untapped energies and thoughts and creativities within ourselves that we fear uh, tapping into. So what happens when she, when Suzanne unlocks those fears, we discover that this is really when her uh, second great adventure begins. And then we find our heroine pulling up some trickery of her own when she cheats the three brothers, arguing over their inheritance and steals the three magical objects. Um, the 
One magical object that we do see her using is the magic carpet. The other two objects that she steals from the three brothers, the wooden club and the cap of invisibility, uh, well, they belong to another story, which I hope I'll have the chance to share with you on a future occasion. So she takes the magic carpet and commands it, take me to where the tiger dwells. And this is where she meets the elderly lady who finds, um, who helps her to find out about the four monsters in the four directions. Now, the four directions could possibly represent actual physical geographic regions, whether political or cultural territories that were physically present at the time the story was told within the storyteller's uh, vicinity. Or the four directions can also symbolize the four stages of life, birth, youth, adult or the elderly, and death. And the monsters, the viper with the seven heads, the snake, the scorpion, and the tiger, could also represent either four enemies that were physically present during the time the story was made or told. And here we find the storyteller using them symbolically. And then there is that elderly lady who we, we refer to in the tale as mother. So she could, she might also be the same mother that we meet in the beginning of the story. And uh, because she offers her kindness and she's quite selfless. And uh, for example, she provides Suzanne with the food, this delicious flatbread with olive oil and sugar, which is really my favorite dish uh, of all time. And now she's able, because she's been given this extra push of uh, extra might with the food, to finally kill the tiger. She breaks his knee bone and pulls out the wicked gin soul that's been locked inside a box for all of this time. And that's really how our story ends in a way, because then she finally kills the last wicked uh, challenge uh, that she had to face. And then she goes home, there is the ending, there is the reunion with her father. And that's when he's able to pass on the kingdom to her because she's been able to prove that she has lived through as many hardships as he has. Now, what is the kingdom here that's being talked about? Is it the kingdom of my backyard? Is it the kingdom of my home? Is it a kingdom of physical territory or an internal space? a coming into one's own kind of space, a space of self-realization, a common space. Now, maybe you're wondering what does all of this have to do with me? So if we go back to the question that I've offered you, what story can you share with us? What is the story that saved you? Can you find a way, and I'm sure you can, to share a story with us? And will your story encompass guardian beings and these guardian beings might be masked to represent your own mother or a dear friend or even a mere stranger. Now listen, the story that saved me, that's what I want you to ask yourself. Speak to yourself and say, the story that saved me is a story that I really do want to tell. I want to share it because it's the story that gives me strength and that I want to pass on, that I want to remember. It empowers me. So dearest listeners, I invite you to share that with us. And you don't have to tell us the details. You could use your own invented magical creatures and objects to mask the real. And then when we meet again, which will be very soon, I'll explain a little more about how you can possibly do that 
uh, by giving you a little bit of instruction, by advising you which materials you can use. I'm so excited about this. I'm excited to share the instructions and I can't wait to see what you're able to exchange with us. So thank you very much for being with me in the second segment. And please do stay on for the third and final part, the remedy making part. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Jumana Abud in the irresistible shade of the vine, which has been brought to you by Casco's Common Grounds, Story Heritage, and in collaboration with Stranded FM. Welcome again, dearest listeners. You're all so super extraordinary. I'm so delighted that you're here with us on Common Grounds in collaboration with Stranded FM. I'm Jumana Aboud, and this is the Irresistible Shade of the Vine. I'm talking to you today directly from the old city of Jerusalem. We've just encountered an extremely extraordinary sandstorm that has blanketed the city with this thick, yellowish-brown fog. I couldn't see my finger in front of me. And I was thinking to myself, what a curious and fitting environment for storytelling. But I'm obviously aware that the weather condition where you're from wouldn't be the same. Where are you now? Where are you listening from? For us as children, we gathered to hear the tales of the wonders and wanderings of the young and harmed as they faced their adventures into heroic adulthood and maturity in this beautiful shade of the vine, of the grapevine. The voice of the folktale was like a bird singing us into enchantment and we lived, loved for more. In the first part, the audio performance, you heard the story of directions which was a story about our heroine Suzanne who travels on a long journey divided into two great adventures, overcoming great obstacles and curiosities. In the second part, you heard my perhaps elongated and overanalyzed description and interpretation of the story. So thank you for still being here. And here and now, it's time for us to go into the third and final part of this project. And it's an invitation an invitation for you, dearest listeners, to engage with us and to participate. 
I offered you a question. The question came up as inspiration from the Arabic proverb, Is it possible that, that by telling these tales, one might indeed save oneself? So we've arrived now at this question. What has saved you? What story can you share with us? I exchanged with you in the second segment about the various possible meanings behind the magical objects and characters that we meet in folk tales. And the reason that I shared with you the interpretation is because in folk tales, nothing is ever what it seems or what we hear it to be. There are always these internal messages, the secret messages. The secret messages was a purpose in storytelling. It was like carried like water from one place to another, from one person to another. And the reason that happened was for the storyteller, the water carrier, to communicate a message between one place to another and to quench our thirst, so to speak. Very often it would be women. Women were the storytellers. And when telling the tales to adults, because there were two types of folk tales in the Arab-Palestinian folktale tradition, there were two types of folk tales, so those told to adults and those told to children, or both. So they would make sure to hide secret messages in both. And for the ones told to adults, messages for other women would be uh, quite specific. Um, so a woman wanted to warn her sister-in-law because there's jealousy between them in the real time. So she would find a way to weave in her emotions towards her sister-in-law within the tale. And one of the first things, and um, this is my own secret sharing with you, one of the first things that I did when I revised the tale to share with you was that I changed the gender of the hero. So the hero of the story, traditionally speaking, was a young boy, and I changed uh, his gender to being Suzanne. And one of the main reasons I wanted to do that was to shift these kind of uh, expectations, the gender expectations and the preordained expectations or roles. So I invite you to also try to think about similar tactics when you're creating your own story to share with us. Generally speaking, and further along to the secret messages, when you share your beautiful story with us, your creative antidote through your participation, I'd very much like it if you were to treat it as though uh, there are secret messages that you want to communicate. This means that you don't need to necessarily give us all the facts and you can talk to us in parables and in codes that only you know about. So that really is up to you. We have already talked about how stories save and how they were an enchantment or an enchanted form of transport and transformative antidote. So I would also love for you to share with us something that has moved you and that has um, left an impact in your life. But this doesn't necessarily mean a huge endeavor. You could also think about something very minimal and simple. For example, you could share with us the joy of seeing snow in your backyard one morning. Or you could share with us the intrigue in discovering a bird's nest in the tree in your backyard. So you see, it can really be something very simple, but still have had a huge impact in your life. 
It could also be something partial. You don't need to share with us the entire story, as I've uh, mentioned earlier. Okay, so now I invite you to jot the following list of materials down. These are only uh, materials that I advise on. You can use some of them or all of them, and you can also, you're more than welcome to bring in your own materials that you want to share, uh, that you want to use. So the materials that I advise on are the following. A pencil sharpened on both ends. A piece of paper. Any photo making device. Your phone will do. A liquid pen correction tool. You know, the kind that you use to cover mistakes from your handwriting. A needle, a thread, flour, the kind of flour you use for baking. A scrap of fabric, a hairpin, a soap bar, sugar, a glass of water, and a leaf. Find your own way to use some or all of these materials in order to create a kind of a, um, a symbol that represents the story that saved you. And please do consider the magical ability to use metaphors and symbols in your visual presentations. Once again, the story that moved you doesn't have to be a story that happened to you. Now you could use some of these materials to create a collage that expresses the synopsis of your story, the story that saved you, and once you've completed your beautiful work, I invite you to share it with us, with myself and with Casco. And you can do that by taking a photograph of your completed work and send it to us uh, to the following email, info at casco.art. I repeat, info at casco.art. And please put in the subject heading of your email, you can put, a story that saved me. You can also upload your images to your social media, but please do tag Casco if you do so. So again, just to summarize, you'll be sharing with us a visual interpretation of a story that saved you, using a multitude of materials in the form of a collage, for example. Thank you so much, dearest listeners. You've been in the irresistible shade of the vine with me, Jumana Aboud, which has been part of Casco's Common Grounds project, Story Heritage, in collaboration with Stranded FM, an Utrecht-based online radio. I really also want to thank uh, the team at Casco Art Institute, Tubina and Stacy, and special thanks to Luke Collin from Stranded FM. But my greatest gratitude goes out to you, dearest listeners. I'm so excited to see your stories that saved me. Take care, everyone, and have hope and courage. Bye-bye.
ضحى طرحت على الأسماع أزرارا من الوجد أو أضمارت مشاقها كشفت على الصحراء Do you?